few years ago, Lisa and I got into a TV show called The Selection, which is based off of a British TV show called SAS. And basically what they do is they take just average, ordinary people like you and I, and they put them through like Navy SEAL training. It's very, very intense. It's such a cool show to watch just ordinary people trying to make it through that type of training. And I'll never forget there was this one episode. They were subjecting the people to just like hours and hours and hours of extremely cold water, just in the water, water being sprayed on them, just freezing cold. And I'll never forget one of the drill instructors said to the guys, look, you have got to learn to embrace the suck. <laughs> you got to learn to embrace the suck. <laughs> never forgotten that phrase. Basically, what they were saying is, it's more than just this physical that you say that, you know, I, I can't do this, and that they wanted to tap out to, to ring the bell and, and get out. They were like, no, you got to learn to embrace the suck. It's a mental aspect as well. And what these drill instructors have found is that human beings only like will go to about 40% of our capability of what we could tolerate. In other words, Physically, we could do much more, but mentally, we tap out. Emotionally, we tap out. And I'm sharing all that with you because today we're concluding our series called Thriving in Exile. And what we've been doing over these past four weeks is we've been looking at, all right, we're living in a nation now where people are becoming more and more hostile to those of us who have faith in Jesus. And how do we do that? How, how do we thrive in the midst of all that? Well, you've got to learn to embrace the suck. Now, to put it in a more biblical way, you've got to learn how to endure until the end. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 here today. We're going to go through chapter 4 and chapter 5 as we wrap up the series. We've been just going straight through the book of uh, 1 Peter. I do want to welcome those of you that are watching online. There's a little button there in the upper right-hand corner of your screen called Talk Notes. You'll push that. That's going to take you all the scripture I'm going to look at today, as well as all the points I'll be making. Same thing for those of you here live in the room. Welcome to you. And if you go to our website, exponential.church, you're going to be able to find all the scriptures there and all the talk notes as well. But as you continue to turn to, to 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to just give you a little bit of context because we're talking about this, this whole idea of embrace the suck, right? And endure to the end. And Peter knew a thing or two about suffering. I want you to think back to the night that, that Jesus was betrayed and ultimately arrested and crucified. Peter was there with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus said, look, we have got to pray. Anybody remember what happens? Jesus is praying. What does everybody else do? They all, they all fell asleep, including Peter. And so Jesus is like, wake up! Wake up! And so Peter's feeling bad that, man, I couldn't even stay awake you know, to pray for what's about to happen here. And of course, then, you know, Judas leads the, the Roman uh, guards in and they arrest Jesus. Peter's first response is he pulls out a, a sword and he lops a guy's ear off. I mean, you know, he's like, I got to protect Jesus. And he lops this guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, dude, what are you doing? That's not what we're about here. Jesus reaches down, he picks up the guy's ear. His name was Malchus. He picks up Malchus' ear and he just like pops it back on, right? And he's like, look, we're not about like swords and everything. It's not about violence. It's not about attacking our enemies. And so again, Peter, he fell asleep and now he's like lopped the guy's ear off and everything. Well, all the rest of the disciples, they're all fleeing. 
except for Peter and John. And they like sort of, they're like sneaking behind, like, you know, where are they taking Jesus to? It turns out it's to the, the home of the high priest. John, we don't know how, but he had some sort of connection there. And he's able to like sort of get them into the courtyard area. But as they're going through the gate into the courtyard, there's this young teenage girl and she says to Peter, she's like, hey, you're one of Jesus' followers. Peter's like, no, me, no. And then they go on in. Now, it must have been a cold night that night because there's a fire and everybody's sort of standing around the fire and they're warming themselves. And as they're standing around the fire, one of the, the, the security guards for the high priest goes to Peter, hey, I think you're one of Jesus' followers, aren't you? Your, your, your accent gives you away. Peter's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I don't even know the man. And then a little bit later, and actually it's, it's funny, the cousin of Malchus, the, the guy whose ear Peter had chopped off, is actually there at the fire. They come in and they go, wait a second, I know who you are. You chopped my cousin's ear off last night. Peter's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you guys just keep saying that I know this Jesus. I don't even know Jesus. And at that very moment, two things happen. First of all, a rooster starts to crow. And this was in fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus had given just earlier that day. Because Peter said, Jesus, look, even if everybody else deserts you, I will never desert you. I would even go to death for you. And Jesus just looks at him and he goes, Peter, before the rooster even crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. And so that's exactly what had happened. Peter denies three times that he knows Jesus. And the other thing that happens at that very moment as well is they were leading Jesus out of the high priest's home. And Peter and Jesus, they lock eyes with one another. And in that moment, Peter realizes that Jesus knows that he's denied him. And Peter feels such intense shame and guilt. He couldn't stay awake earlier in the night. He, he, he acted violently against the enemies even though Jesus didn't want that. And now he's denied that he even knows Jesus. Shame and guilt, and even more so, just a couple hours later, as Jesus is then crucified, Peter feels so bad about all this. And for Peter, it's, it's over. Everything they've been working for the past three and a half years, it is done. The dream is dead. But then this strange thing happens. Three days later, some of the women come back and they're like, uh, yeah, we went out to the tomb. Jesus isn't there anymore. The stone has been rolled away. The, the, the tomb is empty. He's alive. And they're like, really? Alive? But then all of a sudden, Jesus starts to actually make appearances to them. And this is so strange that he's been resurrected from the dead. And they're not sure what to do about it because he just sort of, he's there one minute and then he's gone the next. He's there and then he's gone. Peter, he, he just returns back to his old life. He becomes a fisherman again. And, and one night, because Jesus made these appearances over a 40-day period, one night Peter's out and he's fishing and all night long they had been fishing and they didn't catch anything. And actually, it's very similar to the story we looked at two weeks ago when Peter, when he first got called by Jesus and he had a night that he, he couldn't fish and Jesus asked him, you know, to put the nets down over the side and they had this miraculous catch of fish. 
And so it's a very similar night. They've been out all night long. They haven't caught anything. And as they're starting to come up towards the shore, they see out in the distance, there's a man standing on the beach and he's lit a fire. And the man shouts to him, did you catch anything? He was like, nope, nothing. And the man says, throw your net down over the side. And just without even thinking about it, Peter does it. He just takes the net, he throws it down over the side. And immediately, once again, the nets are full. John actually records for this one, 153 fish in the net. Well, as soon as the fish are in that net, Peter realizes that must be Jesus. And so he jumps out of the boat. He swims into the shore. He wants to apologize for everything that he's done, but the words just simply won't come out of his mouth. Jesus prepares them breakfast. And after breakfast is done, Jesus says, Peter, come with me. Let's take a walk. As they're walking along, Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, referring to him by his old name. Remember, Jesus had renamed him as Peter, as the rock. But he goes back and he says, Simon, do you love me? Peter, he's hurt that Jesus would ask such a question. He's like, of course I love you. Jesus says, I want you to feed my lambs. Later on, they're, they're, they're still walking along, and Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Peter's like, thinking to himself, my name's Peter now, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Then a little bit later, as they're walking along, Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? And Peter is so hurt. He says, Lord, you, you know all things. You know my heart. You know that I love you. It's in that moment that Jesus restores Peter back to being Peter once again, that he is the rock. He's going to be the, 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 the rock that's built on the foundation of Jesus, the start, the ecclesia, the, the church of Jesus. Three times Peter had denied even knowing Jesus, and now Jesus gives him three opportunities to declare his love. To say, look, it doesn't matter what you did in the past. All that guilt, all that shame, it's all gone, and now I'm going to use you to make a difference. God's saying the same thing to you here today. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God loves you. God forgives you. He wants to give you a fresh start, a clean slate. doesn't matter about the past. What matters is what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And he says, I want to use you to make a difference, an eternal difference. So again, Peter, he knows a thing or two about suffering. He knows what it was like to betray Jesus, to hurt Jesus, to do the things that Jesus wouldn't have wanted him to do. He knew about suffering. But yet Peter knew that in suffering, there can be benefit. In fact, that's where we'll start today if you're taking notes on your outline there. My suffering eliminates sin. You know what? 
My suffering eliminates sin? Well, I want you to think about it for a second. Whether it be a sickness that you're going through or maybe something your kids are going through, maybe you went through a divorce, whatever it is, isn't it true that when you suffer, all of a sudden, everything that mattered in the past doesn't matter anymore. Your, your priorities, they get reordered. All of a sudden, all, all you're concentrating on is, is that, that thing and, and everything else doesn't really matter. It's the same is true in your spiritual life. See, when you're suffering, you don't have time to sin. When your mom just got diagnosed with cancer, when, when your marriage is falling apart, you don't have time to be thinking about, oh, I'm going to go out and have fun and do all these sinful things. No, you're, you're fighting for your relationship. You're fighting for your life. And so when we suffer, when we suffer, healing can come. Because sin loses all of its power. It loses all of its allure. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Christ suffered here on earth. Now you must be ready to suffer as he did because suffering shows that you have stopped sinning. Now notice he says that you need to be ready. And that's actually a military term in the original Greek and it means to put on your armor. And so he's like, look, you've got to put on your armor because suffering is coming your way. Let me explain it to you this way. How much would you be willing to suffer if it meant that you could kick your addiction once and for all? How much would you be willing to endure if you knew that, you know what, that sin that, that I keep trying to stop, but I just can't seem to stop? How much would you be willing to endure in suffering if you knew that finally you could get rid of that sin? How much would you be willing to go through? What discomfort, what amount of suck would you be willing to have if you knew that you could put your sin in the rearview mirror? I think if we're being honest, a lot of us would say, I hate my sin. I love Jesus. I don't want this sin anymore. And so if it means a little bit of suffering here on this earth, then man, I would do anything to get rid of my sin so that healing may come. See, Jesus suffered for the world and we're going to have to learn how to suffer as well. Because Jesus said this, every single day you have got to take up your own cross and follow after him. How many of you think that the cross was easy? Anybody? Anybody think the cross was easy? Do you think that there wasn't suffering on the cross? Of course there was. But Jesus did it for the benefit of others. And we must be willing to suffer for the benefit of not just ourselves so that healing can come for ourselves, so that sin may be eliminated for ourselves. We must be willing to suffer so that others can hear the good news of Jesus. So that we can demonstrate to others and, and proclaim to others that even in the suffering, God is still good. And you've heard me talk about this a lot. That people should be able to look at our lives and go, I don't know how you do it. Because your mom did just get diagnosed with cancer. You did just lose your job. How are you not freaking out? What is different about you? What is so different that you have such peace in your life right now? It's in that moment then that we can share the truth of it's Jesus. Jesus changed me. Not only has he forgiven me, but he's given me a spirit. He's given me his peace and he can do the exact same thing for you. Peter then writes this in 1 Peter 4, 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other 
for love covers a multitude of sins. You're going, how in the world does that work? Well, again, when we imitate Jesus, when we suffer like he did, people are going to be drawn to Jesus because they see something different in us. They're going to be saved because of that example. Skipping down then to verses 12 and 13, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, rejoice that you get to participate in the sufferings of Christ because they will prepare you for even greater happiness when he returns. Now listen, if you're suffering because you're doing something sinful or stupid, don't rejoice in that, okay? That's just your own stupid fault, and that's why you're suffering. But if you're suffering because of your faith, and that's what this series has really been all about, right? That we're learning how to thrive in exile, that we feel like we're exiles in our very own nation here, and there's persecution that's coming for us, and there's more and more hostility towards uh, Christians. If you're suffering because of your faith, rejoice in that kind of suffering. That's what Peter's talking about here. That's what Jesus talks about. If you're suffering through hardships, if you're made to feel like an exile, if you're suffering because of your biblical values, that's something to be proud of because not only is it going to bring healing to you and going to help you in overcoming your own sin, but again, it's going to help with other people as well. No wonder Jesus' brother James, at one point he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you're facing trials of many kinds. Now listen, I know that me talking about you suffering isn't like you're going, yes, all right. I love this sermon. In fact, this whole series hasn't been very fun, has it? Hasn't been fun for you. It hasn't been fun for me. It just hasn't. This is a tough word that Peter's giving. But remember, these people that he's writing to, they're living in what's now modern-day Turkey, and he's writing this letter to the churches there, because they were facing the same thing that we are, that there was more and more hostile, uh, hostility towards people that were followers of Jesus. And they didn't know what to do. And so Peter writes this letter, and over and over and over again, he's reminding them that in your suffering, there is good that is coming out of it. There's going to be good that comes out of it. Yeah, we're going to be made to feel like exiles from time to time. And, you know, many of you have resigned yourself to, okay, I guess that's just how it's going to be. But here's the, the part that you have had a little bit of pushback and some of the questions that I've gotten from some of you is, okay, people are going to be hostile towards us, but when is enough enough? When do I draw a line in the sand and I say, that's it, no more, not going to take it any longer? Well, let's let Jesus answer that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the what? If someone slaps you on the, on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now that sounds weak, but it isn't. Because Jesus wasn't weak. Jesus was not a coward in any way. Let me explain this to you. Out of all, what, 7 billion people on the planet now, are people predominantly right-handed or left-handed? Which one? Right-handed. How many of you are right-handed? How many of you are right-handed? 
Almost all of you that I see here. All right. I want everybody here to hold up your right hand like you're going to slap somebody with it. All right. Now, you're getting ready to slap somebody with your right hand. But Jesus said, if somebody is going, or if somebody slaps you on the which cheek? On the right cheek. Now, look at the person beside you. Don't slap them. But look at the person. Keep your hand there. If you wanted to, if you're actually standing face to face, and you wanted to slap them on their right cheek, how does that happen? Somebody just said one of the ways. There's two ways you could slap somebody on, your, on the right cheek. One is you'd have to actually use your left hand, your weak hand. That'd be one way to do it. Or the other way would be to backhand them. What Jesus is saying here is simply this. If somebody slaps you with their non-dominant hand or they backhand you, that means that they weren't trying to kill you. If their intent was to kill you, they would come with all possible force that they have. But that wasn't their intent. Their intent was to humiliate you. Their intent was to inflict just a little bit of pain. Their intent was to give a, a backhanded insult to you. And so he says, when somebody does that to you, what you do then is you turn the other cheek to them. So they've slapped you on the right cheek. They, they sort of made their intention, you know, somewhat clear of, look, I, I don't really mean to kill you by this. He says, now turn to them the other cheek. Because now if they want to slap you again, they have no choice but to come at you with the full force of what they have. And what Jesus is talking about, and what Peter's writing about, and what Paul writes about is when our enemies come against us, we're always to turn the other cheek. We take it. And if they come at us again with the full force of what they have, what they're doing is they're exposing their true heart for everybody to see. That they are coming at us violently. They are coming at us with aggression. This whole strategy of what Jesus talks about and what he says here for the past 2,000 years has been the key for nations having a, a, the, the nation repent when there's been hostility, uh, hostility towards Christians. You can read about it over and over and over again throughout history. That when Christians are being persecuted, when Christians are, are, are being like sometimes physically harmed, it isn't when Christians fight back that things change. Remember, that's what Peter thought that they're coming against us, so I'm going to take out my sword and I'm going to chop a guy's ear off. He says, no, 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 no. That's not what we're about. What changes is when we turn the other cheek, when we show love even to our enemies, when we serve even our enemies. Again, I would encourage you, study Christian history 
every single time there's been great persecution, what has turned the tide is people go, these Christians are different. Because I'd have punched somebody by now. I'd have pulled a gun by now. I would have come violently against them. But yet, these Christians, they just keep serving and helping and loving people. And so if you want revival to come to America, it's not about you picketing, boycotting, protesting. That's not what it's about. What it's about is you learning how to turn the other cheek. And you learning how to love with the love of Jesus and serve like Jesus did. Suffer on His behalf. Because ultimately, what people will see as people keep attacking us is the evil heart and evil intentions of those people. And eventually it's the people, it's the society that will turn on those people. It doesn't have to be us. So Peter says, don't be fooled. When we individually and collectively suffer for Jesus, it is not going unnoticed. It's not going unnoticed by the people of the world. It's not going unnoticed by God Himself. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, and then we'll look at the end of verse 5. Peter writes this, when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. There will be a reward in the end. Just keep turning the other cheek. The question is, in the meantime, how do we embrace the suck? How do we push past that 40%? How do we go beyond what we think we can do mentally and spiritually and physically and relationally? How how do we push on beyond that? Well, Peter gives us a strategy. So if you're taking notes, first of all, he's going to talk about how do we do do this with other people horizontally, the the people that we have to relate to? First of all, he says, number one, I must offer hospitality. So you got to offer hospitality. And I'm not talking like hospitality towards your enemy, having them over for dinner. All that isn't a bad idea. But that's not what Peter's actually writing about here. He's actually writing to fellow believers. Look, look at what he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. He says, show hospitality to who? To one another without complaining. So he's talking about showing hospitality to your fellow believers. And, and what was happening here was Remember, they were being persecuted there in Turkey. And he's, he's writing, how are you going to deal with this? And there were some traveling missionaries that were sort of coming in to try to help with the situation. And Peter says, look, offer hospitality to them. Offer them a place to stay. Offer them a, a warm meal. Offer them protection from the people that are persecuting you. Open up your home to them. In other words, we are in a team sport. Remember, Jesus started this thing called the ecclesia, which is church. A, a movement of people. A common mission. And what is our mission? To make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, right? That's what Jesus said the church is. We are a collection, a, a team of people that are about disciple making. Christianity is not a a solo endeavor in any way. And so we got to be willing to, to open up our homes because this is a team sport. We got to do it without complaining. 
We've got to learn that we're better together, that we need each other. Now, those of you in the room, take a quick break, relax, have a sip of water. I want to talk to those of you online. In fact, Jim, I'm going to ask you to give me, give me a camera over here. Are we good? All right, let me talk to you guys at home. Again, you guys take a break. Let me talk to you guys at home. Look, as great as what you watching online right now is, that's not church. Again, Christianity is a team sport. We need each other. And so here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Either you need to be here on Sundays, or you need to do what Mike down at our Hagerstown campus does. All Mike did is he said, you know what? I understand that Christianity is a team sport, that I need people around me. And so he opened up his home so that people could come and be with him. You see, there, there's power when we worship together. There's power when we serve together. There's, there's power when we talk about God's Word together. That's what our Hagerstown campus does. They come in, they fellowship together, they eat together, they, they listen to the message together, they worship together, and then they talk about God's Word together. You know, what, what I'm sharing on Sunday, they talk about it right then. And I want to say that to every single one of you. Either you need to be here or anytime, I don't care if it's here, just get into a body of believers. You at home by yourself is not church. You're like, well, I got my spouse. That's not church. You need to be here or in a physical location with others or open up your home so that others can join you. All right, now, let me talk to everybody. Speaking of opening up your home, in just a couple of weeks, September the 18th, we're starting a brand new series here at Exponential called Follow. And what we're going to do is we're going to take six weeks to look at, okay, what are the, the values that a disciple would have? What, what does that look like to be a disciple on an everyday, ongoing basis? What's cool about this series is we actually designed it, and all 150 churches in our region of the denomination are going to be doing the same series with us. Now, not all of them, because it, it's voluntary whether they participate, but a lot of the churches are going to participate. That means that like over 10,000 to 12,000 or so people potential will be doing the same series that we're doing. Isn't that cool? That we're all going to be hearing about the same thing. But it goes beyond that. Primarily Nate, but along with myself and then some others in our Multiplication Commission, we have designed a devotional book that's going to go along with it. So not only are you going to hear the sermons on Sundays, but we're going to give you a book, a hard copy book that we've written. That, again, primarily Nate. We're going to give you that book, a devotional booklet. And so every single day, you're going to be able to read more about what you just heard on Sundays to help you further that along. But then there's one more thing that we're going to ask you to do. And that is we're going to ask every single person, not only here, but those of you online as well, to participate in a life group just for six weeks. You can do it as a part of your existing group that you're in, or we'll be opening up other groups for you to be a part of as well. But for, for six weeks, we want every single person to participate in this follow journey as we take it together. Now, what that means is we need some of you to say, you know what, I'll open up my home. And it's really, really simple. That's literally all you're doing. You just say, here's a good day of the week that would work for me. I'll open up my home. I'm willing you know, for other people from Exponential to come and be a part of it. And that's all you really have to do. Maybe offer some coffee or soft drinks or whatever. But in the actual book, there's going to be some small group discussion questions. You don't have to teach anything. 
All you simply have to do is the, okay, question number one. And you ask the group, here's what the question is. And you just discuss it. And then you go to the next question, go to the next question, you go to the next question. Just spend some time together each week. So you're going to hear the sermon on Sunday. You're going to read about it in your devotional booklet all week long. You're going to discuss it in your group. So that's a way for you to offer hospitality to your fellow believers. Remember, this is a team sport. We need each other. Number two, then, I must serve others. Again, you've got to serve others. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter writes this, Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others, so use your gift well. Again, our culture is turning against Christians, and here's the thing. They're going to argue with you about everything. They'll argue with you about, you know, creation versus evolution. They're going to argue with you about why does God allow suffering? But one thing that they cannot argue with you about is you serving them and you serving our community and you serving the world. There's just no argument to that. There's no arguing your love for other people. And so we are to love all people. We are to serve all people, including our enemies. And so we don't attack them, we serve them using the gifts that God has given us. You're going to go around, I don't know what my gift is. Well, good news for you. We offer a class here at Exponential called Places. And it's a uh, four-week class that lasts over, four classes over a five-week period is probably the best way to say it. And what we do in that class is we help you to discover your personality and your spiritual gifts and how God has wired you up and what other people think you should be doing and how to hear from God in prayer. And there's all these assessments and various things. We spend about $50 on each person just to help you to discover what your gift is. And we're going to be offering the Clases class again starting on October the 22nd. That's a Saturday. And so October 22nd, it'll last again for five weeks total. If you're interested in that, please let us know and we'll get you signed up for that. So you got to use your gift. You got to serve other people. Number three, I must speak the truth. You got to speak the truth. First Peter 4.11, Peter writes, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Now in the context here, Peter is actually talking to preachers of the speak the word of God, but really this applies to all of us that all of us, every single word that comes out of our mouth should be a word from God. In other words, we, we've got to control our language. We've got to control our speech because we're going to be held accountable. We've talked about that in the past, right? Every single word that comes out of your mouth, you will be held accountable for with, with God. So shouldn't most of the words coming out of your mouth be the word of God? Because you can't go wrong with that. Now, here's the thing. If the Word of God is going to be coming out of us, that means that the Word of God has to be going into us. And so here's something, and I've mentioned this before. Many of you already have it, but if you haven't yet downloaded the, uh, the YouVersion app out of your app store, it's also called the Bible app. It's absolutely free. But it is so fantastic because there is literally like Dozens and dozens and dozens of different English translations of Scripture. You can look at the Greek. You can look at the Hebrew. There's reading plans there. So if you're like, you know what? I, I want to like read through the Bible in a year. There's reading plans for that. Or you say, I'm not that fast a reader. I want to read through the Bible in two years. There's a reading plan for that. 
I want to read through all of Peter and I want to do it in a week or a day or whatever. There's reading plans, you know, for that. All kinds of reading plans that are there. There's in reading plans for more topical stuff. So you're like, I want to know everything that the Bible says about marriage or parenting or dating or finances. There's reading plans there. Literally tens and tens and tens of thousands of reading plans that you can do. Now again, most of you already knew that. Most of you already have it downloaded. Here's what you didn't know. This week, they just released a new feature, and it is so cool. You need to go into your Bible app, and under the little search feature, which I believe they call Discover, what you're going to do is hit that, and now you're going to type in Exponential Church. And all of a sudden, you're going to find us in your Bible app there. All right? And there's a little thing that says, set this as my home church, so you'll just set it there. And we have the, the campuses. So you'll say, I'm a part of the Harrisburg campus or I'm a part of the Hagerstown campus. You can set your campus place. And what that does then is it's going to allow us when we're doing series in the future to go, you know what, here's an actual really cool reading plan that I, we think that like everybody should be doing. And so as we're preaching the sermon, we'll be able to say, just go right in the app. There's the reading plan for the week that we can all do together. So that's going to be there. The other thing is we won't know what you're individually doing. So there, there is privacy, okay? So we don't know what you're individually doing, but it does collect what we're collectively doing. And so I'll be able to go in and I'll be able to look and see what is it that most people at Exponential right now are studying in God's Word, which is pretty cool. But even cooler than that is I can actually filter it, not just for Exponential, I can filter it for all of Harrisburg. I can filter it for all of Pennsylvania, all of you know, the United States, all the world. I looked it up. Right now in Pennsylvania, the number one thing that people are studying in the U version in the, in the Bible app is anxiety. So what are your fellow Pennsylvanians dealing with right now? It's anxiety. And so that, that's a pretty cool little feature. So again, if you have the Bible app, uh, go ahead and set Exponential. If you don't have the Bible app, download it and then set Exponential as your home church. All right, so that's Peter's strategy for how do we deal with a hostile world as far as with people. Host, uh, hospitality, you got to serve, you got to tell the truth. Now, now look at all, all those three words. Hospitality, serve, truth. Say it out loud. Hospitality, serve, truth. Do it again. Hospitality, serve, truth. That is not a mistake there. The order is very, very important. And God, keep that on the screen, Dylan. Don't, don't take that away. Hospitality, serve, truth. Most Christians get this backwards. Most Christians want to start with the truth. We want to start with God's Word. Now, don't get me wrong. God's Word is the truth, and God's Word is powerful, and it's effective. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. That's not my words. Those are the words of God right there. God's Word is powerful. It is truth. But what happens is we have these people in the world that are being hostile towards us and we want to start right away hammering them with God's word, with the truth. Well, guess what? You haven't yet earned the right to speak that truth to them. You don't know them. They don't know you. You've got to earn the right to speak the truth to people. How do you earn the right to speak the truth to people? You serve them. You serve them. And again, you serve all people. You love all people, your enemies included. You're going, how in the world will I ever get the, the, the courage to actually serve and love my enemies? Back it up another one. 
hospitality. And what do we say? This isn't hospitality to them necessarily. It's hospitality amongst us that we're building the team. That's why, again, it's so important that we're physically in a building with other people. And it doesn't have to be a building. Just physically together with, with a bunch of people, fellow believers. Because we're worshiping together. We're studying together. We're hearing God's Word together. We're, we're encouraging one another. We're praying for one another. We're together. And that's what gives us the courage then to go out and serve even our enemies. And once we serve our enemies, what did I share with you earlier that happens? Eventually, people go, there's just something different about you. What is so different? Now you can speak the truth of God's Word. Does that make sense? Don't always lead with the truth. When you're with a fellow believer, you always want to lead with the truth because you need, to, you need to challenge them with God's Word because they're already there. You've already got that. But listen, with this hostile world, with these people that are persecuting us, start by building your team, your church, your life group. Build that up. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. Together, go out and serve. That's going to break down the walls so that we can share the truth of God's Word. All right, so those are the three steps of how to deal with, with people. But that's only half the strategy. You're going, oh no, does that mean he's only halfway through the message? No, we're almost done, all right? But there are three more steps that he's going to talk about that's sort of a vertical aspect. Because remember what Paul talked about. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against rulers and authorities and principalities of evil in this world. It's a spiritual battle against Satan, against demons, against the spiritual forces that are against us. And so how do we, how do we deal with that? What's the strategy for that? Well, Peter's going to give us three things really quickly. Number one, I must remain humble. I must remain humble. 1 Peter 5, 6. Peter writes, Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. The Navy SEALs, they go through what's called Hell Week where literally they put these guys and gals through literal hell. And what they were trying to do is during that is break down their pride. That they get to the place that they go, you know what, I can't do this. I can't survive this on my own. You know why they want to break down their pride? is so that they come to understand that it's going to be this team that's around me. That's what keeps me going. That we can only do this together. We can't do this by ourselves. And it's the same way for us. We have got to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I can't do life by myself. I've got to humble myself and say, not only do I need a relationship with God, but I need a relationship with other people as well. And again, not just a digital online type of relationship. I need physical people that can pray for me and encourage me and be there for me. And as we work together, God will lift us up in due time. Number two, then, I must lighten the load. You've got to lighten the load. The seals know that any extra weight that they're carrying could be deadly. So they, they try to be as, as efficient as possible in what they're doing. Now, for you and I, it's not like a rucksack that we have you know, on our back that's weighing us down. You know what's weighing us down? Look at what Peter says in the very next verse. Verse 7, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Many of you are carrying the extra baggage of worry and anxiety and guilt and doubt. And you know, it could be guilt from your past. It could be guilt that you're currently going through. But we don't need to do that because Jesus took it all on the cross. And let me remind you again, 
Peter knew a thing or two about guilt and shame. He knew what that was like. But yet he also knew the healing and the forgiveness and the restoration that comes from Jesus. Jesus wants to offer the exact same thing to you as well. So lay all your worries and burdens and shame and guilt at the feet of Jesus. Number three then, I must stay awake. Again, look at the life of Peter. He didn't stay awake. He didn't stay alert. He messed up. And so no wonder he writes these things to us then in the next verse. Verse 8, he says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, you and I have an enemy. His name is Satan. And if we don't stay alert, Satan will eat you for lunch. He will devour you. And so Peter then says in verse 9, Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. And that's how we'll end the series. And again, just this reminder that yes, the world is becoming more and more hostile towards us. Yes, it may feel like we're in exile in our very own nation. But remember, our job is not to win an argument. Our job is not to win the cultural wars. Our job isn't to save our nation. Our job is to join Jesus and join others as a part of our team in going out and winning people to Him and helping them to become disciples who then can become disciples. We do all this not by fighting. We do this by loving, by learning how to turn the other cheek. Peter wraps up this letter to the churches by saying this in verses 10 and 11. In His kindness, God has called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and He will place you on a firm foundation to Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for these past four weeks and the opportunity we've had to dig into Your Word. And Lord, as we've been just being honest, this hasn't been an easy word to hear. It hasn't been an easy word for me to preach. But Lord, we need to hear it. Because unfortunately, as I talked about back in week one of the series, so many Christians, they're just keyboard warriors now. And they're just attacking people online especially and becoming very, very hostile towards those that don't share our beliefs and our values. Lord, help us to remember that this isn't about a Republican agenda. It's not about a Democratic agenda. It's not about a Libertarian agenda, a Green Party agenda. It's not about any of that. Our agenda is Your agenda. A kingdom agenda. That Your will would be done here on the earth just as it is in heaven. And so Lord, help us to get on Your plan. On Your mission to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And we know that that's going to happen not when we fight. It's going to happen when we love. It's going to happen as we serve all people, including our enemies. And so Lord, help us to do that. Help us to come together as your ecclesia, in this case, the little ecclesia, exponential church, as a part of your bigger ecclesia, the church, the church universal around the world, all the people in the world that believe in you, Jesus. Help us to be better together and go out and make a difference. Not for our glory, but so that we can take that crown of glory that you're going to give us and lay it at your feet. Jesus, we look forward to that day 
because that is the day that really, really matters. The day that you judge us. What did you do with your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony? Were you a good steward of all those things? Did you use it for my glory and for my honor? Jesus, help us to be found faithful when that day comes. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.